This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over the last 50 years or so. In each program, we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country to get their unique perspective on these matters and how they've affected their life, their work and their business. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience, both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. Today, we will be speaking with the director of the Spanish and Portuguese market for Portia, Cecilia Ruiz La Fuente, who's based in Madrid. As many of our listeners will already know, Bordbia is responsible for the marketing and promotion of the food, drink and horticultural sectors in Ireland and operates under the aegis of the Department of Agriculture. Uh, Cecilia has a long-standing connection to Ireland and went to a primary school in Madrid in a school called uh, Las Irlandesas, the, the, the Irish girls, I guess. We'll find out more about that in the in the interview. Uh, Cecilia attended university in the UK, where she obtained her degree in marketing and business administration. And her career has always been connected to international trade. She's been with Board Bia for some 25 years. I am delighted to have Cecilia join me today on the line from Madrid. Welcome, Cecilia, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Hi, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to have you here. So just to um, kick off, I would just ask you about your your career to date, you know, how you, you got into this world of international trade and how your career has developed over, over that period, over the last, what, 25 years or so, give or take. Well, Patrick has very much been linked to Ireland from the beginning. Yeah. When I was studying, I did a little bit of practice work and I work in the in Asset in the airport duty-free shops. And then I did an internship in a Finnish paper and wood product exporting company as well. But then after that, um, I very soon joined CBF. At the time, it was in Borbia. It was Coras Beostak Agus Piola. There's a little bit of Gaelga there as well, huh? I'm afraid not a lot. I wish it was a bit more. <laughs> you know, you can actually tell from the way you speak English that you're interacting with Irish people a lot. That's a compliment, Patrick. Thank <laughs> you so much. I think the Irish accent and the Irish way of speaking and expressions are the nicest by far of all the English-speaking world. <laughs> Uh, there's a, the, 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 there is a, a certain way of speaking here, I guess. Uh, we've we've made the English language our own in a special way. Indeed, but in a really nice and unique way. That's true. Uh, so so then you're, you, you've been with BoardBia for, uh, I think I said 25 years. Is that more or less right? To be honest, it's nearly 28, if we take into account. <laughs> See, the, but I was I was a little girl when I joined. <laughs> okay, okay. And then, so when you joined at the, at the beginning, what, what were you doing and how has your role evolved over that, that period, that career? At the time, um, I joined very soon after the office opened in Spain. And the reason for opening, it was because Ireland had identified some interest mainly in Irish beef. Some of the main Spanish retailers uh, needed big amounts of stakeouts. At the time, the demand was for fillets and uh, strip loins. And Ireland had a very strong beef industry and the potential to serve big volumes. So at the time, our competitive advantage was mainly the capability. And that's why the government opened an office in Madrid. And um, I joined then, 
and mainly looking after beef and particularly livestock. My boss, that was an Irish lady that was sent to start to open the office. We were inside the Irish embassy in Madrid at the time. They lent us a small office to start, you know, because we we didn't know how well we were going to do and tasting the waters and see if the um, exports could be developed. And um, at the time, I was very much focused on livestock. I was helping a lot of uh, livestock exporters from Ireland as well, selling cattle in Spain. And after, uh, there has been a lot of changes in Borbia. Borbia assumed part of the work of the trade board, which is uh, Enterprise Ireland now. Mm-hmm. We inherit all the food dealings that they had been developing and also some of the responsibilities of Borglas in horticulture and after the export and marketing responsibilities of BIM. So now Borbia is responsible for all agri-food products promotion from Ireland, not only meat and livestock, as it was at the time CBF. Okay. And your your own connection, your personal connection to connection to Ireland. So I, I see that you, you went to a, a girls' school called what the Colegio BVM Irlandesas, which is I guess Irish girls that, that means Irlandesas. I guess that was probably uh, a Catholic school uh, run by Irish nuns, maybe, in Madrid. Is that what that was? Yeah, it's exactly that. It was the, um, a, I think they are known in Ireland as the Loretta Convent. I was really lucky to to be brought up by them. You know, like, um, the name is like the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, mm-hmm. Convent. It was founded by Mary Ward, a very impressive English lady that moved to, to, to Ireland. And... Um, she, she was something something else. So the whole charisma of the school, it's, I mean, I'm very grateful to my parents and very thankful, you know, of the choice and very thankful to the Irish nuns indeed. There weren't a lot left, to be honest, when I joined. They, they, they weren't teaching much. They were still around, but they were mm-hmm. kind of old. And the ones that um, were teaching us were mainly um, Spanish, Spanish nuns. But then we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. It was our school day. And we honestly, well, we celebrated everything Irish. <laughs> the values were there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, and then Borbia. So most everybody in Ireland has heard of Borbia. It's almost a, a household name. But sometimes we're not altogether sure what exactly it is. So what's its, uh, its, its governance? What's its relationship with the, with the government? And what's its relationship with Irish food producers on the two sides? We are, I think we, we describe ourselves as a semi-state organization. We depend very much on the Irish Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. They are our ultimate boss and we report to them. Our mission statement as such is to drive through market insights and in partnership with the industry, the commercial success of a world-class food, drink and horticulture industry that is very relevant for Ireland because it represents 170,000 jobs and 7.7% of the total employment in Ireland, 21% of the industrial sales and 23% of the manufacturing. So it's a very important sector. And um, I feel that our role is, is really, really important. We really help the Irish companies to sell more in the Irish market and abroad. 
our relationship with them is really, really close. We we work um, hand in hand with them to try to guide them, to try to uh, help them prioritize markets, help them choose where their products can perform better. I think that we are it's a it's a lovely concept because we are there to help a very relevant industry in Ireland. You know, helping them sell more in the domestic market that obviously is very important. But um, that Ireland produces so much food, considering its size, that needs to needs to export nearly ninety percent of their production. So uh, Borbia has fourteen overseas offices that are continuously looking for opportunities and market gaps and to, to look for business conversion and to increment uh, Irish exports. And do Irish food companies, do they, do they become almost like uh, clients of yours or are you always there as a resource? How does that work? Is there some formality in the connections between the, the producers in Ireland and, and yourselves? We're always there as a result. We are there for everybody. We are a semi-state um, body as such. So it's our role to help everybody. The only thing is, is true, that we are trying to be more and more strategic and, and honest. Like if a very small company doesn't really have a plan to export and drinks for BM Madrid looking for clients, we try to bring them through the journey, you know, to prepare themselves first, to make sure they have the capability, to make sure they have the right product, to, to make them aware that they need to translate their packaging. You know, we, we help them. We have like a process to make them think better. You know, if maybe before coming to Spain, they should look at the UK market, for example, yeah. because they already have their products um, in English and, there may be a very a product that we feel doesn't have a great demand in Spain because of their particular properties or conditions or or is something that um it's a product that Spain has already and they're not competitive. So basically we bring them through all this journey of market understanding, category understanding, and then once that they feel they are prepared. We, we start looking for potential business for them and distributor searches, client introductions. Okay. And then, so Ireland then, as a food producer and exporter, you know, in terms of its scale and its product and what's unique about it, you as a, a person who's representing Irish food in your country and in Portugal and in, in Latin America, what, do you, what are you telling those people about Ireland and Ireland's food um, that's that, that that's unique about it. What what's the unique selling feature of, of of Irish food? Well, to start with, Ireland has already a great image globally, Patrick. So it's easy for us to communicate because most people knows about it, and it's a country that is widely admired for everything, really, for its culture, for its music for how nice people are, you know, for for the landscape, for the nature. So it's quite easy to link that to natural ingredients, high quality, also a lot of tradition in the primary sector, a lot of a long-standing tradition and proud in farming, in fishing, in agriculture as a whole, in, in bringing cattle, 
So it's kind of, of easy to tell the story because everybody sees Ireland as a green, as a green country with plenty of grass. So when you talk to potential customers, it's like, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, because it's so green. I guess you have a very good meat industry. I guess you have a very good berry industry. I guess you have, so it's in their minds already. But um, but yeah, I think um, the quality of the ingredients, it's certainly a unique selling point. The tradition, uh, the respect, how Irish people treat and are so serious about doing things well. I think they know that um, there is so much on the stake that the whole country really supports the sector and knows that um, it's very important to do things right. Yeah, so I guess you're, you're, you're leveraging a kind of, um, maybe a kind of soft power that Ireland has, even though it's a very small country and a small player on the international stage. Definitely. It's also, it's a country that uh, everybody likes. It's not the same. And, and you probably, well, even now, the situation we're looking at when countries are becoming more protectionist and there are some <laughs> trade wars, sometimes based on political issues or... Mm. Ireland, nobody has problems with Ireland. Ireland is a country that everybody likes and um, it's a warm, welcoming country with um, that. I think that, um, yeah, it's not the same with, um, yeah, it's not the same. It's, 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 it really works for us. Yeah, yeah. And how has um, how have sales and penetration the markets in, in Spain, Portugal, Latin America, which are the ones that you um, have responsibility for, um, how, how has that been, been going and which um, uh, products or, or sets of products have had the, the, the most um, success over the period? Um, out of the three, uh, as I was saying, like we prioritize out of the three, to be honest, um, the main one will be Spain, probably because of the size and the, um, and the demand. And so our strategy focused very much on the main export sectors to Spain, which traditionally have been beef seafood, dairy, and a little bit alcoholic beverages. So these are the main exports to Spain. Out of them, traditionally, beef has been the jewel of the crown because it was probably because we, our tradition and because we inherited from CBF at the time, a little bit because the way the market is developing and beef consumption is developing in um, everywhere in the world. Now, uh, our dairy exports to Spain has surpassed in value beef and seafood, which is uh, it has taken place for the first time last year in 2019. But uh, those are the three main sectors. It will be a little bit the same for Portugal. Portugal, um, we do less work in Portugal, but it's also responding to our client companies in Ireland request. They see Portugal as a smaller country. Obviously, Spain has 46 million people whereas Portugal has 10. So only because of the size, uh, they naturally think there's probably more potential in Spain for volume and for the supermarkets are bigger. So their purchasing potential is, is greater. But Portugal is a very interesting market and has a lot of links with Ireland, has a lot of similarities, maybe more so than Spain. And uh, it's working very well for beef. It takes dairy products as well. And, and seafood, the brown crab, for example, the sabatera is extremely popular in Portugal and we do well with seafood as well. But overall, Spain is our ninth 
export markets, and I think Portugal is probably the 30th. And then America, Latin America hasn't really been a priority for Bolivia for Iceland. This is also because beef traditionally was the, the main product that we were yeah, trying. Yeah, like Argentina were, and Brazil were big, big beef producers always, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We, there is not a chance of selling Irish beef in these countries that are big, big producers and much, much bigger than we are. And also the product is quite similar because we could still, if, if it was a different kind of production, because yeah. it isn't a niche, you know, a little bit like we're doing in the States. It's like grass-fed beef from Ireland, unique selling points. But in this, in, in South America, eh, this production system and the breeds are not that different as to sell our products. And um, for other sectors, it's a bit far. So it sticks the money. We don't have the, the EU um, Mercosur uh, free trade agreement never finalized, right? That has never been uh, finalized. It's not finalized. And then there are continuous changes. Um, some stages they said, oh, well, it has to be an EU agreement. Then for certain sectors, they have allowed bilateral negotiations country by country. So it's a bit awkward. Like, yeah. for example, uh, out of South America, we Mexico was identified, or oh, in Central America, was identified as the market with the greatest potential. But we still don't have access for pygmies for Mexico, for example. We're mm. still negotiating yeah. all the, um, the access for beef as well. That it could be a small opportunity there, too, for certain offals and cats. So it takes a really long time. Like yeah. our embassy and the Department of Ag has been negotiating with Mexico from probably six or seven years. The first time I visited Mexico was in 2015, and we were already hoping to get access. And then there are countries that um, take a lot of red tape, you know, a lot of paperwork. It's, it's difficult to do business with them. Also because they are a bit protectionist, so they have a little bit their own barriers, you know, and impediments for accepting foreign products. Now maybe uh, changing tack a little. So right now, over the last two months or so, how has coronavirus affected the food consumption in in Spain in general and the consumption, say, of the Irish products then in in particular? It's funny. I think Spain has followed the same patterns as most European countries. For the first weeks of confinement, people were very worried and entered a little bit of a state of panic and stockpiling, buying long self products. So we saw an increase of canned fish, prepared foods uh, that had long self self life, like uh, like some legumes or dry products. Then. It was proven that everything was working well, that there was going to be no food shortages. So we enter another phase where people were buying big amounts. People, we were asked not to go to the supermarket unless it was completely necessary. So we were trying to buy for two weeks if we could, you know, if we could keep products at home and, and freeze them or whatever. So there was an increase on sales, but then we're getting into what they are calling the new normal. So now people are are buying more regularly and they are back to their normal eating habits. But it's true that the food service has closed completely. Spain uh, entered the lockdown in on the 14th of March. So we have been nearly eight weeks in lockdown. 
and um, more, and the food service was gone completely. So this has affected mm. the, um, the trade enormously, and our Irish products are going to suffer from it because as much as we are working on our relationships with the retail sector, there are certain products that cannot be moved. You know, in the case of beef, the food service demands different cuts than what is sold in supermarkets. Uh, in the case of our alcoholic drinks, people are drinking more at home, but it's not the same, the consumption of whiskey or cream liqueurs, of craft beers, you know, what you will buy in a supermarket or what will you have in a bar. The same for seafood. Seafood has been affected, particularly self selfish, because there is not the same. There are products that you have when you go out on a family gathering to celebrate or to treat yourself. Now that the restaurants are closed and we're not allowed to meet and to get together with family and friends, the demand for those products is has decreased as well, even at retail level. So, yeah, we are already trying to assess how much is impacting our exports per category. But to be honest, we are hopeful, hey, Patrick. It's going to take a while because Spain, well, Spain or any of our countries, you know, that Spain is very dependent on the tourism sector mm-hmm. and on our like services, hotels, uh, restaurants in the Spanish coasts, in the Spanish cities with culture and history that are we get a huge amount of uh, visitors that we are not going to get this year most probably the, the way the, the way things are looking but hopefully next year uh, we're already trying to work and planning you know for for the business recovery what would you say to irish producers who maybe are not uh, exporting spain and portugal now but have an interest in, in those markets, what would you say to them as your kind of top three uh, recommendations? I suppose one of them would be to get in contact with Bordia, but you know, what, what, what should they be thinking about and what should be their priorities for those markets? Yeah, certainly. The first will be to get in touch with us directly. <laughs> we will run, <laughs> we will tell them what they, we will make our best to share our market insights. We will make the best to share our market forecasts. And we'll start working with them to adapt their product to the market, to make sure they have the right uh, message, that they have the right packaging, that they have all the, that they meet all the local legislation, which is European legislation, but the ingredients have to be translated into Spanish. Um, Probably, to be honest, um, we look at their package size, you know, uh, because more and more, I think one of the, unfortunately, one of the consequences of of COVID is is going to be economical. In Spain, a lot of people have already lost their jobs or are pending to see how the situation evolves. So the purchasing power is going to be hit tremendously. So people are going to be buying. They might allow themselves to some indulgence. Our products, Patrick, because of um, their quality and because they are... In, in general, they are a little bit premium compared to what the Spanish market produces. Spain has a very strong and a very and a very good food industry. But Ireland has unique, as you said before, have unique selling points that are very welcome and very appreciated in the Spanish market. So Spain will want to keep buying products from Ireland, but they tend to be a bit more premium, a bit more expensive. So in the short term, 
we need to watch that space a little bit, you know, because it will be difficult to sell. I mean, there will always be a niche for premium products and there will always be people that will treat themselves and they, they won't be too badly affected by the, by the crisis. But it, it was a little bit the same in 2008. Even people that kept their jobs and kept their salaries were aware of the overall economic situation and the uncertainty. So we're being more conservative and we're trying to spend less if you want. So we will be really looking forward working with new companies targeting Spain and interested in this market and obviously uh, Portugal and South America as well. But um, we'll try to be very realistic and strategic as well. Mm-hmm. And then just maybe to enter into the very uh, final straight of the interview, what kind of things do you like to do yourself outside of work uh, in your free time? Well, first of all, there's not a lot of free time currently. <laughs> I have to say, as a lot of people are experiencing, this teleworking is a killer. <laughs> you don't leave your laptop all day. <laughs> One's no, but we are having after a WebEx meeting, after a Starleaf meeting, and a yeah, Google Rooms or whatever the hell it's called. More yeah. And more, yeah, 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 yeah. You know it well. It's exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> but um, the thing that I miss the most of the confinement is doing exports. I love. Well, one of the, my first priority, I guess, will be to spend time with my family. And uh, now we're all at home, but we don't see each other very often because everybody is working away or uh, teleschooling or teleworking in different rooms. So we are like, it's funny because I, I have this survey saying, oh, what do you do with your free time now? New hobbies, new, it's like cooking new recipes. It's like, when? You know, impossible. <laughs> no time. I'm busier than ever. But no. What we miss the most is doing sports. Sports, you know, we we really like doing and watching. We really like watching soccer, basketball, tennis, and following the sport. I follow rugby a little bit. I have mm-hmm. to say, Gaelic soccer doesn't get a lot of coverage here. <laughs> Neither does hurling. But no. <laughs> but yeah, I um, that's what I I guess I do mostly okay. on my free time and then and then to wrap so how can how can people uh, find out or contact board beer or contact your uh, division regarding spain portugal latin america if that is their interest and their ambition so how should they reach out to you and contact you where can they find you well to be honest the best thing is to ring us our contact details are all over you know internet and the web I always like having a personal direct conversation to understand well, you know, what the company is doing, what markets um, are they exporting to, what is their strategy, why do they think there's an opportunity? Because maybe, maybe, maybe they already have some market links or some market insights or market info that, that we're not aware of. So I always think that starting with a very frank, honest, and Realistic conversation is very good. We, for Via, that's another thing that um, Ireland has going for for it, Patrick, is the, the technology. Like uh, teleworking for us hasn't been a problem at all because we already had all the systems in place. place. We have our laptops. We have, as you said, 
uh, we're all linking in common. We have teams to work. We have Starleaf. We have Skype for Business. We're connected to them, to the Borbia web, uh, to the platform. We have our intranet. So it's exactly the same for me to be working from the office or to be working from my home, which is a great advantage. So people can really find us. Our Borbia has just relaunched its web page and it's it's great. It's very easy to navigate. It's very interactive, has a lot of information. We are in LinkedIn. We're in Sales Navigator. We are in Twitter. We are in Facebook. All our offices have a lot of information available. That's another thing that Borbia is great at. Like We are very happy to share our knowledge, you know, because um, we do believe in the importance of relationships and building good partnership relationships with our customers worldwide. So if you want them to take your product, you have to give them something as well and you need to share. And our insights and our information and our global knowledge is very much appreciated everywhere. So, yeah, I encourage everybody to to approach Borbia and mm-hmm. to talk to us because it's our job and we love doing it. So thank you very, very much, Cecilia. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And uh, do keep well, keep safe, look after yourself and your family. Thank you so much, Patrick. The same to you and and to the whole of Ireland and the world. God bless us all. Yes, indeed. And thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to find out more about globalization, international business, and how we can help you to formulate and implement business strategies that deliver, please check out my blog and website on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which can be purchased on Amazon and Google Books. So this is Patrick Daly of Alba Consulting. Goodbye and keep well until the next time.